Well, good morning. Got a little box here. I'm going to set this down right there for you. All right. Well, the last, uh, the last time I was here, we had uh, um, the opportunity to, uh, to be with you. We had uh, done Acts chapter 2, and the previous time before that, we did Acts chapter 1. So I thought today we should do Acts chapter 3. There's a good theme going, so I'll just keep, keep rolling with it. Um, so thank you uh, for just the opportunity to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my wife, uh, Carissa, and I um, just enjoy, enjoy being with you, and our, our children are here today with us, or with me. Uh, Carissa's actually uh, back home uh, battling a kidney infection, so she's on the mend, uh, thankfully, but she was uh, not quite up to coming today. So, um, but she uh, is praying for our time together, and uh, she certainly wishes that she could be here with us. Uh, how many of you guys were at the Sylvana Fair yesterday? Like a whole bunch of you. Um, it was so fun to see uh, to see some people like uh, in the Stanwood community in, at Sylvana that that we knew. It was fun to be at the fair and walk around and uh, to see uh, some of uh, some of you people. Uh, it was delightful to. Uh, um, to, to, see, to see one another is great, to be in the midst of a community and, and to be known and to know others. And I agree with Keith, though I felt a little bit outgunned a bit because uh, people knew my name, but I didn't know other people's names. And, uh, um, you know, I'm looking at a cow and somebody comes behind me, is that you, pastor? And I, don't, and I didn't, you know, know who the person was. And, and, but maybe I am the pastor, yes. And so anyway, it was, it was delightful to, uh, to get to know some of you guys better. And, and it's fun to be a part of that, uh, of that community. So, um, so the first week we did Acts chapter 1. We, we, we were looking at just this idea of the book of Acts being all about God kind of launching this new restored community. And so Acts chapter 1, I had uh, talked about a restored mission, uh, that we would be on mission as his witnesses here, near, and far. And then we looked at Acts chapter 2, uh, which we kind of looked at it from the perspective of a restored identity, that we would be thriving in a kingdom community with, you know, uh, operating with supernatural generosity. Um, and then so today we're looking at Acts chapter 3, uh, w from the perspective of a restored reality. And that as God is launching this new church movement that we are a part of today, that really what he's wanting to do is not only to give us a new mission, to give us a new identity, but to really give us a new reality, the way that we view the world, the way that we view the people around us, a new reality that is different than a, you know, a pre-Jesus reality. And so as I was walking around the fair, I saw Rhea there, and she was uh, showing her animals. And uh, if, if, if Rhea had the opportunity to ask questions, or if I was asking questions of people at the Sylvana Fair, and we were just to ask this question in the midst of all of that community, and just kind of, you know, man on the street, or man at the fair interview kind of style, the question like, what does the world need? What does the world need? What, uh, what would be the answer, do you think? What, what kind of answers do you think that we would hear? Just shout it out. What? Love. Okay, the world needs love, yes. 
Jesus. What other answers do you think we would get from people at Sylvana Fair? Hope. Hope, okay, yeah. How about from this side of the room? You guys are quiet over here. <laughs> peace, yes, peace. Salvation. Salvation, what was that? Justice. Justice. Food. Food, Food. yes. To be left alone, yeah, right? What does the world need? Just leave us alone, okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you know I, think, I, think, I think we're onto something. I think you guys are onto something. I think the heartbeat of the community would be, yeah, we want justice, we want peace, we want love, we want, you know, wars to cease, we want salvation. You know, I would imagine the Christians that, that were there would say, yes, everybody needs salvation or Jesus, um, but that, that is what, what, what if I were asked maybe in a more private setting um, and you grab the same people and you would bring them kind of more in a private like one-on-one kind of situation and you would just ask them the same question but more specifically like personally like what do you personally need? What kind of answers do you think that we would get in that kind of situation? Peace, okay. Healing. Support. Support. Yeah. Acceptance. Acceptance. Okay. Fellowship. What's that? Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah. Absolutely. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yep. Maybe some financial help. Maybe helping a job, helping a career, healing of a loved one working through maybe difficult relationships, maybe um, a yeah, feeling of acceptance or forgiveness, restoration in their life to one degree or another. Now, there are different seasons of our life where we feel like we have different needs that are in the moment feel very acute. Um, you know, if somebody were to ask you that question, normally there's something on the top of your mind, like, you know, you would just be able to spit out, yeah, like in a kind of a private situation. Yes, I want world peace for everybody, but for me, if I could just have a few more dollars at the end of the month, or if I could get that promotion, or if this relationship could get restored, or you know, if I could experience forgiveness from this spouse or I need help in my marriage, you know, there's usually an acute need that we're aware of or if, or if uh, this loved person could be healed of whatever's going on or, or I have this issue, if I could be healed from that. There's usually a, a, an acute need that we would feel. I'm not gonna ask you guys what your own personal need is this morning, but maybe you are already in your mind kind of thinking what you would say um, to answer that question. We all have needs. You know, I've, I've got, I have seven children and uh, raising children with my wife has been like the greatest thing. Love it, love it, love it, love it. There's seven amazing kids. There's like five right here, uh, which is pretty, pretty decent odds. Um, and uh, they're pretty, pretty fantastic. And uh, and, and yet, um, you know, with launching adults and aging teens and new teens coming on and then all the littles that just wish they were bigger than they are currently, um, you know, the, the acute need that Carissa and I feel on the regular is wisdom. We need more wisdom. 
And maybe you can agree with that, or, or uh, if some of you are further down the road than me, if you have wisdom to share, please, uh, we're, uh, we, we would certainly appreciate that. But there are different seasons of life where whatever that acute need, you know, is always at the top of your mind. And so when you go to prayer, like you, you just know like what to ask of the Lord. And it's that, that felt need. And so here in Acts chapter 3, you know, as the early church is launching in its infancy stages, you know, on the precipice of explosion, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father after instructing the apostles to go and make disciples, to make them hear near and far, preaching the good news to the poor, you know, bringing about righteousness and justice to all of the community that surrounds them. You know, today in today's passage, we're going to find Peter and John, and they're headed to the temple to pray and to seek the Lord. And they come across a man who is asking for his felt need. He has a need, and he's asking to be, you know, helped out, to be supported in the midst of his need. And he is a man that was born lame and he has no ability to earn money in this environment to, to, to provide for himself. So he is completely reliant upon the generosity of others, not only in the provision for food uh, and just sustenance and well-being, but even just getting to the location where he is able to uh, have people pass by on the way to the temple to ask for alms or to ask for generous support financially for them. He's picked a good spot, right? It's on the way to the temple. These are supposed to be righteous people that are on the way to the temple. You know, the religious righteousness that comes from, you know, prescribed giving. Uh, you know, so he's there and, and he's going to have people that are passing by that really need to feel like they are, are having a perceived level of righteousness because they are giving. And so it's kind of a, a good location, He's mapped out a good spot outside the gate leading to the temple. But his felt need was money. And I think, you know, if you were to look at the nation across the board with the inflation and the economic, you know, situation and the rising interest rates and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Financial need is a big deal. You know, job loss, job transition, um, whatever it is the case. Money is, is kind of a big deal. And it can be the felt need and as it was for this lame man. If only he could get enough money today to feed himself tomorrow. This is his felt need. It's a legit need. It's an important need. Um, but as we read, I think what we're going to find is that maybe he wasn't fully aware of the true need that he had in his life. Um, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 right now. But before we get going, let's pray. Jesus, we uh, are just grateful for the word of God. It is inspired, and because of that, Holy Spirit, we know that you can move in ways that we can't even imagine. And so would you do that now as we look at your word? Would you open our hearts to hear from you this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, 
to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And so this was, you know, this was his felt need. This was his moment. Here are two significant men who clearly are making eye contact with him, getting his attention, making eye contact, surely the sign of someone that's going to give to his cause. Right? I mean, if you are seeing somebody that's asking for money on the side of the road and you're not in the mood to share what you have in your pocket with this person, the last thing you want to do is make eye contact. Right? So we avoid our eyes. You know, and so there, here's this, this man sitting there waiting as these people pass by, Peter and John pass by, they're on the way to pray to the temple. And not only do they go out of their way to like, you know, kind of make eye contact, but they're like, hey, look at us. Like, like get the attention. And so they have this moment. And they have this moment with this man. All right, now let's uh, move on to verses 6 through 10 to see, see just what Peter and John and what Holy Spirit had in mind for, for this man. Verse 6 reads, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all these people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter and John, they saw this man, they, they saw his felt need, which as we've talked about is legitimate. And yet, surely moved by Holy Spirit, they saw his greater need. Not only the financial need, but the physical need. And what we find shortly after is that they address his spiritual need as well. As I was preparing for this morning, I came across uh, this quote um, from a commentary by William Stanford Lesore. And he says, it is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. And so here, you know, you know, men who are following Jesus, they see this man and they see his felt need. It's obvious he can't provide money on his own. He has no way to provide economic support for himself. He sits at this gate and the only like the best thing for people to do in his life really is to give him money so that he can actually provide some sort of sustenance for himself. Like this is a way for them to, 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 to meet a need but it's not the church's responsibility just to ease the pain of others, but to really to bring about the redemptive work of Christ. And that's what Peter and John knew by faith that God could indeed do. They believed that God could do something much more than just provide silver and gold. Could God provide silver and gold? Yes, in abundance. Right? In abundance. And yet, God had more in mind for this man. And Peter and John, moved by the Spirit, knew that this is what God wanted to do. 
I mean, how many times have we missed what God wanted to do by faith in our life because we weren't willing to look past what we perceive as our greatest felt need? Is it a chance that like maybe our eyes are not open big enough to see what it is that maybe God wants to do in our life? We might not see the true need where God wants to do something significant, some redemptive healing in our life, something more than just what we feel like that we need. You know, there was, a, there was a season a number of years back ago in my life where I was just really feeling angry all the time. There was a, a sense of kind of a, just like a, just an angry spirit sort of like filling me and, and whatever it was, was, was driving down the road or, or, you know, something happened in the family or something happened at work or whatever. It's just like this sense of kind of anger filling me. And I, uh, you know, I, I knew that was like the felt need. I was like, God, would you do something in me? Like, I've been a believer for a long time and I'm struggling with this. And why is this still happening? Why is this taking place in my, in my life? And so I went to, you know, I, I went to, to seek help. I went to seek a community of people that were committed to a listening prayer and, and a small community of people that were going to pray for me and, and kind of walk through this. And, and as I was processing through that, one of the things that I w- began to realize is that I had a lot of unforgiveness in my heart towards my father. And I had even some maybe some unconfessed in my life towards my father that I hadn't processed yet. And the trick, of course, was that my dad had passed uh, a number of years beforehand. And so I was in this space and that, uh, you know, through working through this, I was able to really kind of allow God to process with me some, and he, and he began to do some redemptive work in my life. And if I just was wanting to address the felt need, which was like, I need to be less angry, but God wanted to do something greater in the midst of my heart and in the midst of my life, and that was to kind of process through some of this unforgiveness and process through some of this unconfessed sin in my life. And I was, you know, able to walk through that with the Father. And it was, it was a significant time in, in my life. And, and he continues to do that. He continues to reveal areas of my life where there needs to be redemptive work. And praise God that he continues to do so. You know, I, I, didn't, I think I didn't realize I was as broken as I, as I, you know, I didn't realize that I was so broken. You know, and that God needed to fix me in these areas, to redeem some of this brokenness, to, to turn what was broken into something beautiful. Um, and it's a process of working with God. He is so kind to do that. You know, when we give him that space, when we give him that space to work in our life, um, you know, when we, when we look beyond maybe what is on the surface and that Jesus wants to do something a little bit deeper in our life, But let's turn back to the narrative. People are beginning to notice what's going on, of course. This, uh, apparently, this, this man that's been sitting at that gate, he must have been doing it for a while. Like, he's got, like, he, people know him. Uh, he probably knows others. They know him. Um, and, and so, like, he's, he's a known person. And so they, they see this man jumping and leaping around with his ankles and his knees and his, his legs that are working for the first time in his life. And so let's look at verse 11. And the beauty of, of what Peter does in this moment is, is that he, he takes the opportunity where people are astonished in, in seeing what God has done, and he begins to preach the good news because he knows that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, so let's look at verse 11. He says, While he clung to Peter and John, 
All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Right? And so this is where Peter notices, like, hey, this is a good time to share the gospel. Like, people are gathering. Like, what an opportunity here. This is verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom he delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And so right away, Peter is kind of painting this picture that he's making sure everyone knows that is listening within this community. Everyone knows around this temple, everyone is hearing. They are very sure that this Jesus is Yahweh, that this Jesus whom they crucified was indeed the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Yahweh, that the God that they have been following, that their family has been following for generations, that God is Jesus who was crucified. And he's really kind of honing in on that. But verse 14, he says, but you denied the holy and righteous one. Another, uh, another call to the fact that Jesus was indeed God. And, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I mean, can you imagine standing there, like, like you're sitting there, you're listening, and, and can you imagine like the feeling that you're receiving, like maybe a little bit of, of guilt, of condemnation that you're feeling, like conviction in your spirit that this Jesus was indeed God and you were participating in the killing of this man. And just the feeling and the weight of that and I also appreciate Peter in the midst of this and making sure that all credit and glory for this healing goes to Jesus. And that was faith in his name that made the man strong. And I think a, a keynote here that we don't want to let pass by um, before we move on is that, did you notice that it was, uh, where did the faith come from? Was it Peter and John's faith that they manifested all by themselves? No, we note it, we, what we note in the scripture here is that it's, it's faith strong enough in the name of Jesus to heal this man, but this faith came through Jesus. So not only is it faith in the name of Jesus that participated in the healing, where did that faith come from? It wasn't something that just Peter and John like girded up by, you know, pulling themselves up and pulling their faith up by their bootstraps and just kind of like, I'm going to have faith. But the faith actually came through Jesus. And so sometimes I feel like I just want to say this out there, Sometimes I feel like I don't have enough faith. And the reality is I probably don't. Um, but when we want to see God move or when we want to participate with what God is doing, we can ask God, would you give us the faith that we need? And Peter and John were given the proper amount of faith that they needed in that moment through Jesus. And so it's really faith in Jesus through Jesus Verse 17 says, and now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come for the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who have came after him also have proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter is making it clear. He's making the offer to the people who have rejected God, who rejected Jesus, the opportunity to repent. And repentance is like this really fancy church word. It's a Christianese kind of word that essentially means to turn away from one thing and turn towards another. And to turn away from a path of rejecting God to turning towards a path of accepting Christ. To turn away from rejecting Jesus to turning towards having faith and trusting in Jesus. And maybe you are in this place this morning where you have the opportunity to hear the words, the call, the offering from Peter as the people right there in the temple were hearing Peter and had the opportunity to either continue to reject Jesus or to put their faith in Jesus. And just like those people in that moment, we too are hearing God's word. We too are hearing the good news. We too are hearing Peter's call to repentance, to turn away from one way to go another. And we too have the opportunity to respond. We can continue to reject Jesus and live our life the way we want to, or we can decide, yes, I want to trust Jesus. I want to place my faith in him. And maybe today's that day that you're going to say yes to Jesus and you're going to put your trust in him and you're going to respond to Peter's sermon just like many people in this moment did. And the beauty is that Peter is saying, it's like, you know, you can turn back to Jesus to receive forgiveness from him, trust him for salvation, and receive times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So I would encourage you to listen to the words of Peter this morning. Not my words, but the words of Peter, who calls people from rejecting Jesus to put, putting their trust in him, repenting and, and choosing to receive forgiveness and trusting Jesus with their salvation. So my son made this uh, box, uh, I don't know, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago. But you know, uh, how much stuff can you fit in this box? Quite a bit. You could fit a lot of things in this box. It's a nice box. Um, but what I want to say this morning is that God does not fit in this box. Your view of God does not fit in this box. I mean, God is greater than what, he is not to be limited by this box. Um, the, God did not fix, God did not fit in the box that the man born lame, who was begging outside of the temple, had placed him in. God doesn't fit in your box. He doesn't fit in anyone's box. 
Um, he doesn't fit into like the box of systematic theology. He doesn't fit into a box that we try to place him in. Anytime that we try to place God into a box like this, he's not going to fit. He will not be limited by a certain set of parameters. We are finite in our understanding of who God is, and he is greater than anything that we can, we can even, you know, conceive of, right? Like, God is greater than anything. And so I think I want, what I want us to hear this morning is that the man that was sitting at outside, the ta- uh, outside the temple, he had this perception of his need, which was, I just need money today, and if God is good, I will get enough money today so that I can eat tomorrow. And what I don't think he conceived in his mind is that God is something greater than that. And something that Peter and John knew was that God was bigger than this box that that the man had put God in. That God had something greater in mind, something more amazing in mind than just providing enough finances for him to eat the next day. That he wanted to see him be completely restored in his physical sense. But God doesn't want to stop there. Peter and John knew that like, even greater than his physical need that needed to be addressed, his financial need needed to be addressed, his physical need needed to be addressed, but he had something even greater, which was a, which was a spiritual need that needed to be addressed. And that God wanted to do a redemptive work that was greater than a financial assistance, greater than a physical physical healing, which is amazing, right? I mean, just the fact that he was able to stand up and his bones immediately worked and his muscles like immediately functioned and worked to the point where he was able to leap and and shout and praise and, and run. Like, that's amazing. What an amazing redemptive work to restore his physical body. But even greater than that, Jesus had in mind, like, I want to restore the salvation in the heart and the salvation, the souls of all these people here outside this temple. That there was a redemptive work that God wanted to do that nobody had their eyes open to see. And the the Holy Spirit moving through the life of Peter and John, God was able to enter into this redemptive nature and this redemptive work. And these people had the opportunity to participate with it. And you guys are in the same place. You're sitting in these chairs. You're not outside the temple. You're not outside the beautiful gate. You haven't seen the amazing, astonishing work of the Lord in its like physical healing like like these people did. And yet, you know and believe that God's word is true. And so you know and believe that this narrative of this man born lame was actually true. Like it actually happened. It's historical fact. And so if you know that's the truth, then you know that you can respond to the message from Peter saying, are you ready to repent? Are you ready to turn away from trusting in your own thing and trusting in Jesus? Maybe you're in a place where you need to repent from putting God into a box and realizing there is more that God wants to do in your life than just how you have placed him up until this point in your life. Maybe God is asking you to say, you know what? I want to do something greater in your life than just giving you that job that you want. I want to do something bigger than, you know, whatever it is that you've been asking God for. Maybe it's time for for us to have a new reality, a reality that says God can do something even greater than we can ask or even imagine. So God doesn't fit in these boxes and maybe, maybe, Maybe we need to repent from kind of keeping God in a box. 
So there's, I think, I believe that God wants to give each of us a restored reality. When we come into faith and, and trust in Jesus, in, him, in his name, and who he is in the kingdom, I believe that there are, are at least three new realities that God wants to give us. Number one, we have a restored reality that we all need Jesus, whom we all have rejected. A restored reality number two, God has great works for us that line up with his purposes to preach the good news that the kingdom is here and to bring righteousness and justice to our community. And then restored reality number three, that God does not fit in your box. He doesn't fit in my box. He doesn't fit in your systematic theology box. He doesn't fit in your beautiful church tradition box. He is not to be contained. He is not to be limited. We can open our eyes to what God wants to do in our life beyond what we feel is our felt need. We can open our eyes and not limit what we think God can and cannot do. Those are the restored realities that I think God wants to give us this morning. We all need Jesus, whom we all have rejected. That God wants to do some great work in your life, in you and through you, by faith in his name, faith in which he will give you to bring good news that the kingdom is here, bringing righteousness and justice to our community, and just the reality that God doesn't fit in your box. So today is your day to be saved by Jesus, to repent and to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Today is your day to repent from keeping Jesus in a box. Today is your day to open yourself to Jesus for him to do some redemptive work in your life. Today is your day to see how he wants to use you in greater ways to advance the kingdom than you can even imagine. You know, Romans 12, 2, I don't have it on the screen, but Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the transformed mind is the restored reality that Jesus followers need to have. Now, we would not look like the world, but that our minds would be transformed to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. And that we would not even be satisfied with how we've always seen God work in the midst of our church attendance over the last 20 plus years. Maybe God wants to do something outside of the box. And that's exciting. And we would just call upon the Holy Spirit to move how Holy Spirit wants to move. When we trust Jesus and let him out of the box, according to Peter, times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord will come in the conclusion of his sermon. And so I'll go ahead and conclude there too. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to see you move outside the box. We want to, we just repent of our desire to go our own way. We repent of our own independence. We repent of rejecting you. And we turn away from that life and we turn to a life of trusting and putting our faith in you, Jesus. And there are times, many times in my life where I feel like I have lacked the proper faith. And so Jesus, I, I just would ask that you would give us the faith that we need in this moment, in this day, in this time, 
And Lord, we, uh, we repent from trying to keep you contained in a box, in a place where we t- feel like we can maybe understand you. And in the midst of that, we've probably limited what you want to do in our life. And Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you open, open our eyes to see the redemptive nature of the work that you want to do in ways that we have kept you from working? And so we repent from that, and we just would ask, would you open Open, us, open our eyes to see you afresh. Help us to trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would stand, I'll end our service today with a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.